All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Emergency Nine podcast. This is episode three. Uh, we've come a long way. We've already got our first guest on the show. We got VCU's own Lanto Griffin joining us. Uh, we thank you for coming on. Lanto's coming off a top seven finish this weekend in San Diego at Torrey Pines, winner of the 2019 Houston Open, and now has moved into the top 50 in the world ranking. So, uh, Lanto, can't thank you enough for coming on and taking the time. I know it's been a long stretch here. Um, I do question your judgment joining us. Uh, this is definitely not, <laughs> definitely not Jim Nance and the CBS broadcasting crew you're talking to. Just for, you know, four knuckleheads on our third podcast ever. So uh, we do thank you for coming on. Um, you know, we have no listeners, so essentially this is off the record. You know, so um, uh, you can just kind of talk to our mothers. Is pretty much the only people we have listening to this right now. So can you go into your backstory a little bit? It is a um, a pretty cool story from where you've come from and um, how you've gotten to where you are. Yeah. Well, first off, hopefully your moms are proud of you guys for doing this. So uh, I'll leave it <laughs> at that. But uh, yeah, I grew, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia doing um, pretty much every sport other than golf. And um, when I was you know 11 or 12 years old, I, I started getting the golf itch. I was a big baseball player, but I didn't grow. Uh, I'm tall now. I'm 6'3 now, but at the time, uh, 12 and 12 and 13 years old, I was still, I, I hadn't hit my growth spurt. So, you know, going from being the best player on the baseball team to playing right field and batting ninth and getting drilled in the arm by <laughs> kids that are 30, 40 pounds heavier than you kind of took the enjoyment out of, of baseball. So it was one of those things where that kind of happened right when I started playing golf and I knew I was no good at basketball and, and soccer just kind of uh, just kind of fell out of, you know, the passion just kind of left. And so it was golf. I got the golf bug and I loved the individual aspect of golf. I didn't need a team to practice or play. And, and, uh, Steve Prater at, at Blacksburg country club was a, a huge influence for me. He, he kind of, uh, mentored me and, and taught me, uh, kind of since day one and, uh, kind of proud that he's still one of my coaches and we still talk weekly and, and, uh, it's been a, pretty special relationship for me. So without Steve Freider down at, in, in Blacksburg, it, none of this would have, uh, you know, ever come to be. Yeah. Can that's... you go into, um, I know you're in some, some of the articles doing some research that, you know, you said multiple times you were close to kind of giving it up and what, what kept you going and, and kind of what was that? Was there one thing that kind of turned the page for you? Yeah. I mean, anytime you're getting beat by Jay Woodson in the state open and getting your heart <laughs> ripped out, it's, it's tough to keep going. Yeah. You're like, wow, no. this guy can beat me. Then I should stop. <laughs> oh man. No, it's, it's true though. I mean, you, you know, right after college I, or during college, I never won in college. I was a, I was a good player at VCU. I had a lot of, a lot of high finishes, but I, was, I never knew how to close out tournaments. And, you know, that was always frustrating. And then, you know, financially I never really had uh, a large bankroll. So it was kind of when I started playing professionally in 2010, you know, the mini tour scene was very strong at the time. So there's plenty of terms to play in, but at the same time, it was, you know, thousand bucks, 1500 bucks just to enter these tournaments. And, and I was still trying to gain experience. So it was kind of a race to, can I get enough experience? Can I, you know, improve my game? I had a lot of weaknesses coming out of college. Um, could I do all that and, and learn the ropes before my money ran out? And it seemed like, 
you know, at least five or 10 different times, you know, the bank accounts at zero credit cards are maxed out, tired of asking, tired of asking friends and family for money, um, to keep the dream alive. So it was, it was tough there for a while. Um, I never really, you know, my main goal was always to, you know, play on the PGA tour and win, but that, that was the end goal. But my main goal was just to stay alive and keep, you know, keep enough money in the, in the bankroll to, to keep the dream alive. So I, I remember every time I had a good finish on the mini tours finish, you know, I think I finished fourth my first year on the e-golf tour and made 12,000 bucks and driving to the next tournament. I was, I felt like a millionaire. I felt like, you know, <laughs> I got, I got two more months of entry <laughs> out, of that, out of that one week. And, and that was kind of the mindset. So it was kind of always running with your hair on fire. It, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't super relaxing, but at the same time, it, that adrenaline rush of, you know, if I don't play well these next couple of weeks, you know, I might be looking for a job. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's, that's, that's one of the most unique things about, uh, you know, trying to play professional golf. I think, uh, it, it, everyone sees the, the glitz and glamor of, of like your situation. Obviously you, you, you were able to push through and make it, but it's, they just, I don't think the, the general public and the viewers are exposed to the, the grind. I mean, you have these few guys that, uh, that get these, you know, seven exemptions a year and they, you know, they get out and they're, you know, like a Victor Hovland or, a you know, Morikawa, you know, that's, that's very rare. I mean, majority of the guys get out on tour the way you did and they, they beat it on the the mini tours and, and whether it's Canadian, Latin American web, and then they work their way up. I mean, that's 90% of these guys have to do that. Um, and it's just incredible to see, like you go, like you said, go from, you know, almost not having any money in your account to, to where you are now. It's just, it's, 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 I mean, I've been, been there 15 years of doing, it. I've seen it. I've seen so many good players. I mean, you can attest to it, Lanto, like how many players have you played with, uh, for your six or five or six years that you were, you know, on the minis and, and, you know, Canadian and Latin that you're like, this guy is an absolute stud. Like this guy is a sure fire guy he's gonna make it to the tour and they just don't like it's just there's so many variables and it's it's pretty incredible to see it all come to fruition here um so yeah no you're 100 right uh i can think of many guys i played with in college you know guys from you know big name schools like georgia and georgia tech that i never really dreamed of of playing with much less beating and and uh even that at playing mini tours you know seeing guys who are just like holy cow he just won you know a hooters event or he just won an e-golf event i I can't even really fathom pulling that off and then fast forward 2014 i i caddy for will wilcox he's one of my really good friends and and uh (laughs) willie yeah he's he's an absolute legend i yeah I, i wouldn't i wouldn't be where i am you know today without him either he uh he let me caddy one event and 2014 at the Greenbrier just because I had a, a real close friend that had a cabin there. So it was kind of a, a fun week for everybody. So he, he gave me a chance to caddy and, and he ended up finishing fourth place. And I think he made $227,000 and, and awesome. cut me a, he cut me a check for 17 grand. Uh. And I had never made over, you know, I had won one tournament at the time as a pro and it was like a $9,900 check. So <laughs> I made, I made $7,000 more caddying than I'd ever made playing. And, uh, at the time I had about, I had about 150 bucks in my bank account and, you know, I had one entry fee paid the following week, but I'd missed six cuts in a row going into caddying for him. So, you know, after that event, he, you know, he liked the way I caddied and he was like, you know, look, man, if, you know, 
if you don't make it, if you don't make it to Q school this year, um, you know, the job's yours basically. So I ended up caddying for him. Well, actually the, the week after that, uh, I didn't touch a club for the whole week caddying and I, I finished sixth in uh, e-golf event at Irish Creek. So oh. I missed six cuts in a row and then I don't touch a club for a week and, and I go play. Uh, and actually, I think that Monday, the Monday after that Greenbrier event, I did the, I had a Monday qualify for the state open. And I'm oh. pretty sure that's the year that you beat me in a playoff because <laughs> I, uh, I shot 64 on the Monday and uh, then drove straight down to Irish Creek you know, Monday night and, and the e-golf started on Wednesday. So it was pretty bizarre just watching Willie. Um, I don't know if it's, it was me watching how he handled himself, you know, on the PJ tour, watching how other guys practice or whatever it may be, uh, just getting a different perspective and, and knowing that, you know, those guys, you know, they hit bad shots too, and they're, they're human. So, uh, that, that week caddy and I look back on and I always, you know, tell Willie, you know, that none of this would have been, possible without him and and uh so that was pretty cool too i mean I, i've had i've been fortunate with some uh little stuff like that that kind of kept the kept the dream alive well that's what i mean that's what it takes that's no an question. amazing story yeah it, it's awesome. it's amazing um hey next time you talk to to uh wilcox let him remind him I, we played together in his first professional tournament down in uh georgia Wow. Another name drop. Sorry, Lonto. The boys have got a little thing going here. Every time I drop names like this, they they got a little a little calculator that they just add. We me. all have that. We all yeah. have that one friend. I know but, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I'm that guy. But yeah. Will is Will is an awesome dude. But he was he was right after he had gone. I think where did he go? Did he go to Alabama or somewhere? He from- went to you. Yeah, he went to UAB and then he UAB to Clayton State. And then he went, yeah, and then he went to Clayton State and he got out and he was a stud. And then he turned pro and we were playing together. And you know, the first his first tournament was outside of Atlanta. And uh he uh I just remember watching him hit it. He just flushed everything. And I'm like, dude, who are you? <laughs> I was like, where'd his you swing, go? You yeah, know, his, swing's, like, his swing's so unique, but uh you know, watching him play was you know, I, I caddied for him, like I said, three times that year and and one one hole it was uh, I remember it pretty vividly. It was number thirteen at River Run, back right pin. You know, kind of an awkward one sixty five, something like that. So he hits an eight iron to like twenty five feet, and he starts cussing up a storm. Like, you know, why the heck am I even playing? Why do they even let me play? I'm the worst golfer out here. And, and I'm sitting there like, man, you got a tuck back right pin. You just hit a little cut eight iron in. I mean, you, you pulled it a little bit, but you got you know you got twenty five feet, <laughs> and he's and he's freaking out and. And then fast forward to the Greenbrier or rewind to the Greenbrier on 16 on Sunday. He had a, a sand wedge from the rough, totally pretty easy lie back right pen again. And he gets to like 25 feet and he starts fist pumping. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Will, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, he's like, he's like, bro, if I hit that, if I hit that long or right, I'm making double every time. <laughs> and uh, he was in contention, but it was, it was just funny to kind of get a first hand peek at what goes through, you know, PJ tours mind and, and Willie was a he was a beautiful mind to kind of see the inside of for a little for four yeah. days. I think I think you hit the nail on the head too there when you you're if you're catting for a guy who finishes a top five in a PGA tour event, obviously you're playing with a guy who's playing well, but you you knew him, you were comfortable with him. But you're also playing Thursday, Friday, you're playing with some guys who probably missed the cut, and you're like, Oh, I, you know, I know this guy, he's a household name, and he just shot 72, 74, and he missed the cut. And you're like, Oh, really? These guys yeah. These guys hit bad shots. They miss cuts too. And like, you know, everyone sees like the Rory's and the 
and the Dustin Johnsons and the Tigers, and they see these guys every week because they're – I mean, those guys are incredible. I mean, you, you've played yes, with them, guys, but yeah. they're just incredible. And it, the, not everybody on tour is like that, and, and that just – they're so solid and so consistent. Um, that, that's why they're that's why they're a top five, you know, player in the world. But there's a lot of guys who are unbelievable that still miss cuts. Um, so you yeah, probably – uh, Yeah, no, it's funny you brought that up because part of the reason that is is because because they only show the guys that are in contention on TV. So exactly. other than the feature, even other than the feature groups on Thursday and Friday, you know, they're, they're going to show DJ and, you know, John Rom and Rory, they're going to show most of their shots. But if you're going to see a guy like me on Thursday and Friday, it's either I'm, you know, on 59 watch or I make it, you know, whole lot of shot, make a long cut, <laughs> stuff a shot. So when you, you're basically always watching good golf on TV, unless if you see a, you know, a big name on Sunday, maybe hit it, hit an errant shot. But yeah. so Growing up watching golf on TV all the time, you just you put these guys on a pedestal, and yeah. you know, and then you you go out and play with play with them, and and uh, and you, you notice that they're all you know they're all human. They're you know there's guys that some weeks you can tell their heads just not in it, and they don't want to be there, and and uh, you know I've I've seen that a lot. So that's that that aspect's kind of helped me. That you know in college I remember you know if I had if I was a couple over par or three or four over par, I you know I wouldn't. At the time, I didn't think I was cashing it in, but I was, and and uh, that's something that over the last couple of years, I've I've adapted the mindset that you know if you're in 50th place on Sunday and you can finish 40th at the end of the year, that's that's you know 10 extra FedEx Cup points, and yeah, so I've done a good job of you know even this last week at Tory, um, got off to a really bad start on Saturday on the easy on the easy holes and and rallied on the back nine, and I did the same thing on Sunday, so. I think, you know, you, you got to find your, you know, kind of competitive advantage and, and I'm never going to hit it as good as DJ or Justin Thomas. And, you know, that's just a fact. Those guys are, I mean, the top, the top 30, top 15 guys in the world, they're on another level. Yeah. It doesn't mean I can't beat them um, on but a certain just, week, but I'm never going to have that top five every single week. Like DJ, it's just, those guys are, they're the MJ of, of golf. They're yeah. LeBron James. No, that, you know, and I wanted to talk to you about this too. This is one of the things I wanted to bring up. Um, so one of the coolest things that, um, that I saw was after you won at Houston and you were doing your interview. Um, and I'm not sure who asked the question, but you were basically running off the list of how many uh, of goals that you achieved by winning that event. And I think that's something that's like, it's incredible. Like just, to have all those goals set up and, and like to just to see them come to fruition. Like, is that something that you still continue to do? I mean, it was like, you had a list, you, you pulled out your phone at the podium and they were like, Oh, I I hit this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Like that's, I mean, that's how you build confidence. You know, you set these goals and you set some that are, you know, obtainable. You set these kind of, you know, mid range goals and you set these really high lofted goals but that's how you gain confidence. And I, I think you are like a perfect example of somebody who, like you said, you came out, you're doing the mini tours. You, there was no guarantees. You, you hit these, you hit these goals and you start building confidence. And here you are, you know, PGA tour winner, you know, and, and, you know, obviously top 50 in FedEx cup points. I mean, that's, that's cool shit. <laughs> I mean, it's, super- yeah, no. it's, it's a, it's an evolution really. I mean, I remember my rookie year on tour, if I, I was, if I made the cut, which, you know, my first, I think I made 13 to 26 cuts my rookie year and I made the last eight. So that's what, so that's what five out of 18 
my first 18 events on tour, I made five cuts and, yeah. you know, so if I, those five cuts I did make, by the time I got to Saturday, I was, I was one, I was so happy that I made the cut and I got minimum of 12,000 bucks. I was, you know, exhausted on the weekend and, <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I played so many events in a row. You kind of had to play when you get in, um, you know, I ended up playing nine, nine PJ tour events in a row and, and that's exhausting. So my rookie year was just kind of like, it's kind of like a night out of the bars and, and, by the yeah. time you're done, it's just exhausting. You don't even know what, ha- what the heck happened. So, um, going back to the corn Ferry tour was, was really good for me after the, my rookie year. I, my goal that on that year on the, on the corn Ferry tour was, all right, I'm better than these guys. I know I am. I just came off the PJ tour. Not, not that I'm better than them, but I have more experience. Like I have a yeah. taste of what, I, what it's like on the PJ tour. So my main goal of going back to the Corn Ferry Tour was just to be consistent. I wanted to turn 50th place finishes into 30th. I wanted to finish ter- 30th into 15. And, uh, you know, I wanted to turn those decent weeks that I used to have, you know, the 12th to the 20th. I wanted to f- turn those into top fives. And, and um, I did a good job of that on, on the Corn Ferry Tour. And I, that, that gave me a lot of confidence going back uh, to the PJ Tour. And, and uh, I was fortunate to kind of keep that momentum going. And, and once you get a taste of success and you get a taste of, you know, believing in yourself, knowing that you can, you can hang with these guys that it, it turns, you know, when I started making cuts regularly on the PJ tour, I wasn't scared to finish top 20. I wasn't yeah. scared to finish top 10 and have a shot at winning where my rookie year, I was so fascinated by just making the cut and, yeah. and being out there and being able to tell people I was on the PJ tour. It was, you know, it was just a mindset that evolved and, and, uh, and that was, that was probably the biggest thing for me. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it, there's a learning curve there for sure. And it's like you said, you get that confidence dropping back to the corn fairy. That's what's like propelled you like, you know what? Hey, and we talked about this, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, like with Tony Finau, um, Tony is like a super, he's a super confident guy. You've probably played with him quite a bit here. Last yeah, I played with him, played with him Saturday. And I played with him a couple of times recently this, this year. I mean, it is long to, I mean, is, is uh, Tony, he's one of the nicest guys, but he's, he's definitely very confident in his golfing ability. He doesn't, he, he probably thinks he's a better golfer than, you know, 99% of the guys out there. He doesn't think he's a better person, but when he no. plays golf, he, he believes that he can beat anybody and which you have to have that. You have to have that. You got to teeter that line, you know, like of confidence. Um, and, and I know most guys are, are, you know, cautious of being arrogant, but you have to be kind of arrogant in your golfing ability, not you as a person, you know, and I think he does a good job of that. I think you do a great job of that. And that's why, you know, I think that's part, partly why you have success and that's why you have a good following. Um, yeah. I have, I have, I have confidence to a certain degree. I don't, I don't have, I don't have the balls that Tony Finau and John <laughs> Rahm and, and these guys have. I, I'm, I'm first to admit, it. I mean, we, we get up on 17 on Saturday at Torrey and, and I'm playing with Ryan Palmer and, and uh, I think he's made over $40 million in his career. Yeah. Incredible player, but he just, he aims the winds off the left tight driving hole with, with the uh, canyons to the left. I mean, he starts at 10 yards into the, into the Canyon and just peels it back down the middle. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, what was I one under for the day or something like that. I, I take yeah. a three wood name and aim in the bunker, trying to draw it off it to a left <laughs> right wind and, and hit it just an absolute laser draw three wood and, and barely, barely, you know, kicked right into the bunker. And, and I was like, you know what, if I was just aiming inside the bunker, I would have been in the fairway. And, yeah. and then Ryan Palmer's over here aiming in the canyon. So <laughs> <Aiming> I'm constantly, <laughs> I'm constantly, I'm, I'm constantly aware of this. I mean, I, and 
course management is a good strength of mine. And uh, so I'm not going to totally, you know, diss myself on that, but yeah. some of these guys out here, they're, they're playing every single week to win yeah. and that's their, their main goal. And John Rahm's another good example. You, you mentioned Tony being hungry on the course, being a, a stone cold killer, but being extremely humble off the course. And, you know, John Rahm's one of those guys where I, I wasn't a huge, like a huge fan before I met him and, and played with him, but I played with him in the final group at Zozo and I played with him at the, in the playoffs last year and John Rom couldn't be nicer. I mean, he yeah. is, he is, I mean, he'll come eat lunch with you, talk about just normal stuff. And then you get him on the, on the, uh, on the course. And it's like, Holy cow, this guy is deadly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And, and there, there's a bunch of other guys. I mean, Ricky Fowler, Xander Shoffley, one of the nicest, coolest guys, super down to earth, but you get him on the course and he's, he's a he's stud. Still, he is absolutely. Um, I think he's the most underrated player. He's fifth in the world. Uh, he doesn't get. He doesn't get I, nearly the publicity he should. He's mainly because he's such a nice guy. And, yeah. uh, and he just doesn't have that flamboyant personality, so he doesn't maybe get some of the you know the uh, airtime some of the other guys have. I'm gonna. I'll ask one more. I've got one more tidbit, and I know Mike has got some questions for you too. But um, you know, talking about you know you being real, I think um, and just. Being, you don't feel like you're you're that type of player, like a stone cold killer. But I think that's that's super genuine. You know, one of the coolest things, and uh, I'll bring. Only reason I bring this up is because it's a cool story, guys. Not because it's one of the times that I beat Lonto in a tournament, but I will bring. Oh. Um, but so we were in this playoff together. Um, I know I left the six footer short. I remember. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's not. <laughs> we, didn't, we actually didn't know that part. But. I didn't even. I wasn't going to bring that up. It was actually me, you, and and Mark Lawrence, who nobody probably knows yet, but you will know. The guy's a yeah. stud. Uh, Very he's, good player. He is a stud. He's. It, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he were uh, playing with you in in the next couple of years. But you know, we're in a playoff. Um, and I'm I'm kind of towards the end of my career, and Lonto's kind of right in his prime, and Mark is a young kid, but Mark misses, you know, three putts a hole, he's out, and and Lonto and I have to, you know, go back and play another hole together. And I remember you like in the middle of the playoff, we're talking to each other because we we had, we've played, you know, we had played, you know, golf together for seven or eight years, if not longer than that, up at that point. And you were like, you were like basically telling me how nervous you were you know, standing on the putting green on the 18th hole. And I just, I remember, I remember thinking, I was like, I was like, a part of me was like, okay, I got him. He's nervous. But also part of me was like, man, this guy's like really cool. He's like so honest about like what he's thinking and feeling. And I think, and I think, you know, yes, you didn't win that tournament, but I think you being really honest with yourself and that's what a lot of golfers don't do. They try to fake it. They're like, Oh, I'm not, I don't get nervous. Like, well, that's bullshit, dude. That's bullshit. Yeah. You're trying to win a golf tournament. You're in a playoff. You're nervous. Just accept it. And then when you, when you can accept it, that's when you can start to build and perform. And, and I think I don't, it probably wasn't a monumental thing for you, but just from, for me watching it, I was like, that's, I was seeing a, a player, like getting ready to to come into his own. Like he's real about where he is. He understands the situation. Hey, I'm nervous. It's cool to be nervous. Let's take advantage of it. So anyway, it was one of the cooler moments, you know, obviously getting to getting to know you over the last 10 years and it was really cool, but I, I just know most people wouldn't do that. So I thought it was awesome. Like that's, like, yeah. that's super cool. I kind of learned that. I kind of learned that from Willie Wilcox. Willie was, you know, he was, he was the same way. And, and I did leave a six-footer short in that playoff. Or maybe it was in regulation. I had a six-footer to win. I left it right over the front lip. So 
so yeah, the, you you won that one. But uh, you know, being honest with yourself, my my, uh, you know, you don't want to be delusional. You, you yeah. gotta you gotta know where you stand, and it doesn't it doesn't. I mean, honestly, I, I don't remember telling you that. I 100% believe you that I did. I don't do that anymore. I don't tell. I don't tell these guys that I'm. You know, holy cow! I'm playing with Justin Thomas, and I'm so nervous right now. Uh, so luckily, I've learned from that. But uh, you know, my my mental coach, his name's Greg Carden. He had he had a, a quote that really really has helped me. He told me that a couple of weeks before I won in Nashville in 2017, but he basically told me that you know thoughts don't matter. I mean when you sit up on a, on a hole and there's water on the left side and you're thinking, you know, I'm going to hit in the water. I'm going to, I'm going to hook in the water. Just because you're thinking that doesn't mean it's happened. It doesn't mean you're going to do it because thoughts don't hit shots. So yeah, if you can have that mindset and you can realize that literally, I mean, how many times have you seen Tiger Woods had a terrible tee shot on the first hole of a tournament happens all Always. the time. Yeah. yeah. So there's certain holes where, you know, you're going to have these, those thoughts and, 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 certain circumstances are going to just they're going to get to you but if you can realize that whatever you're thinking and feeling is is normal normal people have it you can't read people's minds but everybody out there is getting you know having similar thoughts yeah uh it kind of helps you kind of reel back in and and know that you know what you're scared of hadn't happened yet and if you can get you know if you can realize that then it kind of brings you back into the present and you have a chance so that uh that, that definitely helped my mental uh my mental game, you know, about four years ago. That's yeah. That's super cool. That's good. That's good stuff right there. That's awesome. So I'd like, we got a couple of, uh, I guess, bigger issues in the golf world that have come up here in the last few days. The first one, I'm not sure if you saw it today, but the USGA and RNA came out with a report, uh, looking at potentially rollbacks on equipment. And the four of us had kind of had a discussion last night when we were recording about, you know, is there a distance problem in the game? What do we do about it? Do we change courses? Do we change equipment? I'd love to have your thought as an actual player out there versus the four of us uh, just sitting here drinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't agree with with rolling it back for multiple reasons. One, club companies have spent so much money in R and D and making these amazing clubs and and balls that have made the, the game of golf fun. I mean, who doesn't want to see what Bryson's doing? Love him or hate him people don't understand how hard it is to get your body in in shape to be able to do what he's doing and then much less keep it on the golf course. I mean, there's a reason why guys, you know, have fairway finders and hit two irons off tees and, and do stuff like that. Cause it's, it's hard to control a golf ball the further it goes. And for a guy like Bryson to be able to drive it as straight and as far as he does, it's incredible. You know, it should be, it should be rewarded. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I don't, I mean, guys on tour talk about, you know, how far he's hitting and stuff. And you don't hear any guys saying this is unfair. I mean, pretty much everybody's just bowing their hat or their caps to him and saying, Great you know, point. this is, it's, it's fascinating to watch because, you know, he's putting in the time, the hours, and it's pretty hard to put on 40 pounds, 50 <laughs> pounds and, and still be able to swing a club. And, and then on top of that is his short game. And he led the PJ tour and in, in putting inside 10 feet. So, you know, yeah. from a, a golf viewership standpoint, if, if he can drive it like number seven at Shriners in, out in TPC Summerlin, I doubt many people can picture the hole. But it's about 370 yards to the front of the green, little dolly left, OB left. And this year, round one and round two, uh, he drove it on the green. And there's about a five-yard window, you know, to get it in, to get on the green. And in the second round, I was going to miss a cut. 
And uh, so I just unleashed on a driver, swung as hard as I could right out of the center, tight little draw. And I was about 35 yards short of the green. And he had he had 15 feet for eagle from behind the hole. And <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, yeah, it's Probably. unfair. But, it, you know, should it, you know, should it be something to complain about or something to, I, I need to, and something to motivate me. And, and I think the golf courses have been built, you know, to accommodate the, you know, the ball going further. And, and I don't think many fans want to turn on the tube and watch us hit it 280 or 290. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a whole lot of fun. So no. I think, you know, for courses to defend against the long ball, grow the rough up and, and firm greens, tuck the yep. pins. And you know, if you need to add bunkers, if you need to add bunkers 60, 70 yards from the green, so if Bryson wants to hit, hit driver down there and, and he has a 60-yard a bunker shot over a greenside bunker to a tight pin with firm greens, I mean, good luck with that. So that's my take on it. I, I, I think we just need to – you know, the PJ Tour is, is hard enough already. I mean, we play the fastest, firmest greens with, with long rough. And I think the people at home, you know, they might not know how hard it is to control a golf ball, you know, out of thick rough on firm greens just because – you know, I play at TPC Sawgrass every day, and the course is always in good shape. It's always immaculate, but it's never in tournament shape until about a week before the tournament, just yeah. because the, the superintendents, yeah, they're not going to lose the greens, and yeah. and you know nobody wants to play in four inch thick, you know, five inch thick rough. It's just it's not fun for the average golfer. But if you do that for us, you know that really puts a premium on driving the golf ball. Maybe not necessarily in the fairway, but you can't miss it short side and. Yeah, and, and that type of deal. We we talked about that last night a little bit, Lonto. Uh, you know, because it kind of kind of jumped on it. But you know, I think, and you can you can attest to this. I mean, it, it, the courses that that play easy are the courses where the rough is not thick and the fairways are not super firm. I mean, when it comes down to it, if you want to make these guys play, you know, tougher golf courses or shoot higher scores. You narrow the fairways, thicker rough, firmer greens. You can't control the wind, but that would be the other thing. Like when you have those elements in play, you can't get the ball close to the hole. That's how guys shoot yep. higher numbers. Like I, I need control over my ball. I need to be able to get the ball close to the hole. And when you throw, you know, really thick rough in, and if you narrow the fairways, now it's harder to hit the fairway, obviously. And then you have firm greens. You know, that's that's how guys shoot higher scores. Um, I, there's, I mean, I don't. There's, there's really nothing else there. Um, you know, that you can do. I mean, you can try to roll back equipment, but I, I don't know if yeah. that's the, that's the, yeah. That, and I, I agree. If you look at Bryson, what he's done before he gained all this length, I mean, he won five times um, in one year. So it's not like he just started hitting it further and now he's winning every week. He's only won twice this year. He won it at Detroit, which was a perfect golf course for him. And then he won the U S open, obviously, but what he did at the U S open wasn't just, it wasn't all driving the golf ball. I mean, he, I mean, he had incredible. I mean, hitting lob wedges out of that rough from 80 yards and holding the greens was impressive. And yeah. and how windy it was on the weekend. I shot 79 on Sunday. Didn't play that bad. And <laughs> under the pressure, yeah. I mean, I'm being I'm being honest. I mean, the, yeah. the, it was so windy. You know, the the third hole was 245 yards dead in the wind, and the and the green was about 10 yards wide, and and the greens got you know tons of slope on it, and you know, I'm hitting two iron off the tee. So as, as high as Bryson hits it, you know, he's probably hitting, you know, three iron or two iron or maybe even a five wood if he has it. But yeah, you know, it's not golf isn't all about hitting it far. It's, it's, it helps a lot if you can hit it far and straight, but you still got to get it up and down. You still got to putt and, 
And uh, so I think people overlook that with guys like Bryson and DJ. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and the guys, the guys with the speed are still going to hit it further than the short guys. I mean, I don't care what clubs or balls they're going to use. It's Bryson's still going to hit it further than Zach Johnson. I don't care what you're using. (laughs) So rolling it back, it's just everyone's getting rolled back. I I think just, you know, we agree with you is just kind of let's try to make the golf courses a little harder. If people are upset at the scores of being shot or how close some guys are hitting it to the greens, just, just make it harder. Yeah. There was an uh, argument at a Kapalua this year where I ended up getting into a, an argument with a, an older time club pro. He was, <laughs> he was getting, he was getting pissed. Uh, he made a comment with Bryson drove the green on number 12 and, and he drove the green and it's about a 10 yard window. You can land it in. There's a foot and a half high, you know, fescue rough that you, you're not going to find it. It's, you know, it's those Hawaiian grass that's yeah. four inches thick. And then if you miss it right, you have uh, you know, it's a really hard, you know, wedge shot from about 30 or 30 feet below the green. So me and DJ, I played with DJ that day, number one player in the world. We both hit driver down the middle. I think I had 96 yards of the hole and he had 92 yards of the hole and Bryson drove the green. And it was just like, and this guy, this guy is on Instagram commenting on it saying how boring it is to watch and how, how Bryson's ruining the game. And I, I only hit driver there on that hole one day because how tight it, I mean, it's an 80 yard wide fairway, but if you're yeah. going to get to the green, you got to hit in this 10 yard window to catch the yeah. speed slot and carry a bunker this three three ten and then so it's just it wasn't the risk reward wasn't there for me but but Bryson drove the actually drove the green and it's just the opposite of boring to me I find that's, it fascinating that he's got the ball incredible balls. yeah yeah that he's that got the ball is incredible there. to hit it hit that it. far like yeah. in that straight like it's just you don't <laughs> guys don't do that like and that's like you said that's the problem like they watch this and they just see everybody bomb it and they're like oh it's boring but like if you watch it in person you know and you're yeah. you're a competitor you you're like you're oh, it's, it's a lash too it's not like ernie back in the day where it's just kind of no. smooth. when he hits it bryson you're like damn like, yeah <laughs> 100 percent right and, and you look at bryson at you know at uh memorial this year i think he he blew up and hit a bunch of balls ob and shot 78 or something like that so it's not like he's just doing it on demand i mean it, it is hard to time up yeah a 205 mile hour ball speed or 205 mile hour uh club head no not club head speed ball speed yeah he's yeah. he's a, he's probably around mid 130s 140 club head speed when he wants to so more power to him i mean yeah. if he's on with the driver and he's Good playing luck. well yeah, good luck beating him, but that's not going to be. I mean, it might be two or three weeks a year where where he's yeah. just got a unfair advantage. You guys, um, you guys use the same uh, putter there. Yes, Steve uh, Henderson hooked you guys up. You've been with sick golf for quite a while, and uh, I see Bryson's got his kind of retrofitted, like yeah. really upright putter, like kind of arm lock, arm bar, which you know is pretty unconventional. But that's right up Bryson's alley there with that. Yeah. Kind of- Exactly. And I'll say one more thing about Bryson. Bryson, he's he's a he's a real you see these range sessions where he blows up and and you know he, he seems kind of like a whiny guy. He he's so competitive, but off the course and I've played with him a couple of times. He's he's extremely nice to volunteers and kids and and then he's a lot like John Ron. He'll come down and sit sit and have lunch with you. If you have any questions about what he's doing, he's he loves sharing his insight. So That's Bryson's cool. actually uh he's actually a, a pretty good dude at heart. He just he kind of comes off a little different, you know, under He's the competitive dude. He, wants, he wants to win. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. No, exactly. All right. Well, we won't take up too much more of your time, but we got to get your thoughts on uh, Mr. Reed here, Captain America. <laughs> you came out and had some comments that I kind of made the, 
made their way around social media. Um, you know, wh- what is your take and what's kind of, you know, some of the take of the other players on tour and in, in the locker room? I think everybody's, I think everybody's on the same page where, you know, Patrick doesn't need to, you know, try and adjust the rules in his favor. I mean, he's, he's incredible. Same, same as the guys, other guys we've been talking about incredible competitor, incredible short game. And it's just kind of frustrating, kind of scratch your head that, you know, why does he keep doing this to himself? And, and actually Saturday after the round, he came on the range and, and I had a good, I had a good drive and he goes, why are you, why are you even here? You know, laughing, smiling. And, you know, he was in a good mood. So we were joking around and, you know, talked to him for, you know, 30 seconds or so. And then I left and I was, you know, in my car and I started seeing, you know, all the mayhem that was happening. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about it. So, you know, the frustrating thing is that it doesn't seem to affect him at all mentally. And I told my caddy, I was like, you know what, if that happened to me on Saturday and the whole world thought that I cheated, I don't think I could, I wouldn't be able to focus on Sunday. Yeah. And he was like, well, cause you're, you know, you're a normal human. And, <laughs> but he thrives you know, off of that stuff. He, dude. He thrives yeah, off. He of does. It. He really does, man. Uh, he loves the, the villain role. And, and, and I, I enjoy playing with Patrick. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a fun dude. To, I mean, there's certain guys that are fun to play with. And there's some guys you're just kind of like, Oh God, I got that pairing. So <laughs> I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying he's my favorite guy to play with, but we've always got along well. He's, you know, his cat, cat has been, been nice to me and and it's always been cordial it's just it's kind of frustrating because i think the majority of guys in golf you know just kind of go what golf stands for if if you're in question whether you should take a drop you know whether your ball cross whether you know anything like that you know whether your ball's on the green or not whether whether your ball's in the fairway for playing left in place majority of guys i'd say 98 percent of them are gonna you know err on the side of not not taking an advantage just because of your conscience and so I think most of the guys are, are frustrated with that and they're frustrated that there hadn't been, you know, you know, more repercussions for, for his actions. And, you know, so that, that part's frustrating to everybody, I think. And, and I think most guys just kind of want some kind of, you know, you know, some kind of penalty at some point, yeah. you know, just to kind of, kind of put it on, put it on ice. And the guys like, you said Lanta, the guy is so good like he doesn't if he if he didn't have this reputation um he i mean he would i mean he is a household name because he's uh, he, obviously he's won nine uh, times in the masters yeah, it's one of the best rider yeah, covers he, yeah exactly is he our christian leitner is that is that seriously like think about other sports you know there's villains right you know yeah. i mean maybe he is <laughs> yeah it'd just be nice it'd be nice to be the villain you know in in other ways other than yeah you know having your exactly you know your, your yeah, integrity exactly. of your, your your character challenged when you play golf and nobody wants that that's why we're you know we're always cautious about you know calling somebody a cheater you know it's like you gotta because once you call somebody that it's like there's no going back and then you don't want anybody that Mike's like, yep, I called him a cheater. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't I mean, know if cheaters, I don't know if cheaters the right way. I think it's just more manipulating the rules and, yeah, and being in denial, being in denial when you see hard video evidence that yeah. your, your club did move sand away and gave yourself a <laughs> lie, that type of deal. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard for me to fathom because you know, a couple of weeks ago at American express, I, I had a nice rally and, you know, I think I was 200 par and I get up on this par five, number five, and I snap hook, I, I toe hook it. I play a cut. There's water all down the left. And I wanted to try and draw one and I got quick and toe hooked it. And, you know, I, I kind of looked down and I look up and I didn't, 
I didn't quite see if it crossed or not. And, and I was playing with a couple guys who were walking up and I was like, Scotty, what do you think? And he was like, he kind of gave me that, that look where like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's close, but I, I don't think it did. So I was like, all right, I'll just drop. I'm just going to drop here. I didn't even want to argue with him. I you, think I, if I wanted to drop, you know, another 150 yards up, I could have, um, yeah. you know, just because it's player discretion, but I just, you know, if, if both guys in your group, if there's not video evidence or the guys in your group aren't, you know, on board and you have to argue your way, it's just from it's a conscious standpoint. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth going home thinking, you know, was, was that the right thing to do or was it not? So yeah. for me, it's just, you know, I try and, I try and have that, that aspect and, and at least at night I'll, I'll be pissed at myself for having a bad shot, yeah. but yeah, I'll, I'll sleep better. And, <laughs> and, and not everybody's like that. I think, yeah. I think 98% of the guys are, and there's a select few that, you know, that they'll just do anything they possibly can to win. And, and whether that's cheating or not, it's, yeah. you know, it's up, that's up for discussion. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's always tough. Like you said, you're always trying to make sure that you, you don't, especially with the way this, this game is, there's no referee to tell you yes or no. So we, you know, we referee ourselves. So if you choose, you know, incorrectly or on the, on the verge of, you know, being called a cheater, like no one wants that label. So you, you err on the side of caution and you always take <laughs> that drop that you probably could have stretched it out another 50 yeah. yards. I remember playing with uh PK Pat and desire in a Hooters event. And he, I remember him hooking a ball in the water. We were down in, uh, yeah, we're your necklace. That's name drop number. Which one is that guys? Four, oh, five, six. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, but it's a good story. It's a good Patton, – Patton's a good dude. You see him out there all the time, Lonto, but yeah. and he's a great player. But he hooked one in the water. We were down in Seneca. Seneca near you, Mikey. Yeah. Lost Creek Plantation. So we were on 17, and he hit this drive, and he kind of hooked it left. And, you know, the, you know, we I was behind him coming up on the tee, and they were going back and forth. And he was like so – up. Patton was so upset about where he wanted to drop the ball. He's like, I don't – did it cross here? Where did it cross? And the guys in his group are like – I don't know, dude, you, you pick where you think it dropped. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And he was so cautious about like having that label. He, you know, he felt that it crossed much further up and in the end of the day, he like dropped like 250 yards out and was just like, all right, fine. I'll just, I'll fucking drop it here. <laughs> yeah, basically. And it, you know, but that, that stuff goes through these guys' heads. I mean, you too. I mean, when you're playing, you're like, you just don't want to have that, but uh, that, that stigma, but. Patrick, it actually happened to me. I, yeah, if we're gonna name drop, I'll I'll name drop too. So we're at uh, <laughs> yeah, we're at the we're at the CJ Cup on 18 on Saturday, and I'm I'm seven under for the day playing with Justin Thomas and and Fitzpatrick. Now, that statement Patrick. right there. Hold on, just like I'm seven under on the day playing with Justin. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, 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 as long as you as long as you recognize you're about to name drop and humble brag, you're allowed to do it. Right. Yeah, right. you just got to call it. You just call it up front, and if you yeah. say you're seven under, it's better. I I don't have yeah. the privilege of, of doing that, so hey, you're you're, well, you're Jay taught me. Jay taught me how to do this tonight. <laughs> so. uh, but no, I block one way right on 18, and there's water, and and it's it's kind of a blind. Once you get right of right of the fairway bunker, it's kind of blind. So it's either it cross 300 yards up, or I'm routine basically the two options but you have to walk all the way around this lake and get all the way up there and we get up there and and the and the spotter sitting there and he's like yeah it landed a yard in the water so we we get we get the line and it even to me it was further left than i thought i i didn't think i was gonna get a drop i told justin that i told jt i was like look man i didn't come up here thinking i was gonna get a drop i was pretty sure it didn't cross but the spotter was right here and you know he said it, it he said it landed splashed in the water a foot in and 
with the angle of the tee box, it would have crossed by five yards easy. And he was, you know, he was pretty defined. He was like, man, there's just no way across. And then, and then Matt Fitzpatrick said the same thing. I was like, well, dude, the spotter's right here. He was standing eight feet from it. And, and uh, so I started getting a little heated because now I feel like I should be able to drop there because the guy is doing his job and basically told me it, it easily crossed land. So, and uh, so we go back and forth and, and I'm like, well, JT, we've never played here before. This first time we ever played here is a blind shot. None of us saw it splash. None of us saw us what line it was coming down on, you know, because I hit it so far right. And it was such a bad tee shot. Um, so ended up, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to call a rule official. Call the rule official over. We have cameras all over us. We're in the in the final group. Another humble brag. Yeah. Um, Both. But but <laughs> the, the rules official came over and he said, hey, we talked to TV. Uh, he confirmed it, it. It landed a yard in. And and then he basically goes to JT and he's like, well, JT, look, if it lands right here, but was the ball cutting or was it drawing? And JT was like, it was slicing 40 yards. And I was like, I agree. And and it was just physically impossible that it didn't cross land. So yeah, um, at that point, JT was like, all right, no, I'm, I'm fine with that. But if TV wasn't there, it would have been one of those situations where you know, yeah, we didn't we didn't have any idea. And then on top of that, I was getting frustrated because I'm having to defend myself on TV. You know, and yeah. I, now I'm starting to think. I mean, I'm, am I going to get off the course, and I'm going to be blown up saying that I that I took a legal drop? And yeah, and so so many things were going through my head. And, and luckily, I'm I'm very grateful that TV was there. TV bailed you of, out. Yeah, it ba- it bailed me out big time because it would have been a. I ended up making bogey, I think, um, but it, I didn't want to have to hit that tee shot again under that. You know, anytime you hit a ball, basically hitting a ball with a B, and you have to go back to the tee. It's a, you know, it gets that tee shot gets even tighter. Yeah. So. At, we got up to the green and JT apologized. He's like, man, I hopefully, you, you know, you don't think I was trying to come at you. And, and I was like, no, man, like, you know, I didn't think it crossed either, but, you know, I'm glad to do it. So it ended up working out in my yeah. favor. But at the time, I was so worried about what people are going to think. Because yeah. being branded a cheater is the last thing you want for endorsements for public, yeah. you know, yeah. public eye. And, and then, like I said, also just being able to sleep at night. So. So I've had a little taste of that and, and it doesn't feel good in the moment. So I, uh, I can only imagine what, what Patrick's been going through with, with this. For apparently years. it doesn't bother him. <laughs> no, That's a great not. story because it really puts it in perspective, right? Like, like yeah, you absolutely. said, I mean, the things that were going through your head that, you know, normally shouldn't be when you're on the last no. golf tournament. Yeah. yeah so that was, worth, yeah, he just rolls with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I was sitting there thinking, is, is it worth it, you know, to jeopardize my brand basically and, and what people think about me? Cause I mean, playing in the public eye is, you know, you, you, you want to have the mindset that you don't care what people think. And I, and I, most of the time I don't, but being labeled a cheater is the last thing any yeah. golfer wants to be, you know, be considered. Yeah. So and you're we're like, all cognizant of it. Sure. And then you're like, uh, you know, you're kind of weighing the options there. You're like, do I push hard enough to try to get this drop to try to make a bogey or do I drop further back and just take my double and then come off like, you know, clean, clean slate, yeah. clean bill of health. Like, okay. I'm not a cheater. No one's going to call me a cheater. Um, right. It's weird. Those are the things that that cross your mind, especially especially for you. You know, playing you know uh, with th- th- that many cameras and uh, on you, it definitely it definitely weighs on it's you. It's stressful already, and it was it was 18th hole. That golf course is brutally hard, uh, especially mentally. There's so many so many tee shots where you know if you hit it hit it offline, you're making double. So yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, I was I had an incredible round going, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to go back to the tee and hit another one in the water and make a nine and then look like a total idiot on TV either. So yeah, it was, it was a, uh, it was a stressful, stressful uh, five minutes for me, but uh, luckily we got through unscathed. 
so that was a question we were talking about last night. The officials can go to the tape, right? And essentially yes. use instant replay. Yeah, that's what's frustrating, though, because, you know, Matthew Wolf, I think it was at American Express. He got he got a penalized. He got penalized after the round, you know, the next day for something that happened the day before. I can't remember exactly what happened. I think his ball moved and he didn't put it back. But it's just hard to believe when you see, you know, that ball that, you know, that landed in the rough, took a couple yard bounce and then it magically plugged. I mean, I didn't see a plug ball all week in the rough. The rough was extremely thick. It's just, it seems really hard for me to believe that it plugged. And, you know, it, it maybe it landed in a, in a really soft spot and there's just barely an extension or, you know, there's a chance that he, you know, when he was picking it up, he pushed it down. So I'm not going to sit here and try and <laughs> act like I know what he was doing, but it's just, you know, it's frustrating because you see the ball bounce and, and like, how did that possibly plug? And then he ends up getting up and down and making par and, you know, winning the tournament by five. Yeah. I, he would have won the tournament regardless, in my yeah. opinion. Um, I don't think that's the reason why he did. Uh, but but it's uh, still kind of you know makes her blood boil a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the official, if he would have asked to see the video if it bounced or not, may have actually saved Reed some hardship. Um, from yes all and this. no. I mean, I, yeah, yes and no. I think he would have still argued, um, or maybe he wouldn't have if he saw the video. But at the same time, you know, in the heat of the action on Saturday, the officials aren't going to go to video. You know, if the, I from what I remember hearing, the spotter said he he or she didn't see it bounce. Yeah. Those spotters aren't, those spotters aren't on their top of their game all the time. They're on their phone texting. Yeah. <laughs> no, they do a great, they do a great job. Don't get me wrong, but they're not, you know, they're not constantly, yeah. you know, looking, they don't have the eye for golf. Like we do. We, we yeah. see everything. We can track the ball in the air. These, yeah. these guys are taking a week off their job to come, you know, help find our, our way right. shot. So, you're right. so believe in that it's, you know, it's a little different. And, and so I, I don't, I don't think the, rule officials should have gone to camera there, but I think they should have been able to, all right, keep playing. We're going to go back to the tape. And then, you know, if it did bounce, you know, maybe address it. But even then it's kind of, it's kind of like replaying football. I mean, you know, it happens. It's one of those things where they want to get the game going. They might've missed a play. They didn't review it or whatever. And it's kind of hard to go back after the fact and, and say, you know what, we were wrong. You have to actually take a penalty now. So so the official did they they did their job. It was just kind of an unfortunate situation. Um, so you know, real quick, I know we're gonna kind of let you go here and, and wrap it up, but you know, quickly, if you're playing Lonto, I mean you've played enough now, ten years to eleven years now as a pro. Um if anytime you need to touch your ball, I mean, I was this is the way I always did it, and most of the playing partners that I have and every you know tour event that I played in, it was the same way with you never pick your ball up unless you, you know, you tell your playing partner, you have a rules official there. That's just like kind of the, like that kind of hidden rule. It's like, it's always strange when you see a guy touching his ball, not on the green, you're like, Hey, what's going on over there? You know, what are you doing? You know, it's just, I agree. Pick your ball up and move it, especially when you're trying to verify if it's, if it's, if it's embedded or not, it's just, Normally you walk in, you're like, Hey guys, you want to come over here and watch this? I think this, you know, I think this ball may be embedded. You want to just take a look and, and verify for me. And if you get your playing partner over there and they're like, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. It's embedded. Take a drop. Then you go, you know, because that's all you can do at that point, I mean, regardless of the video evidence, you know, you got your playing partner there, you've got a, uh, a spotter and you go, but it's just strange that you pick your ball up and you move it to the side. And then you say, Hey, it hit right here. It's like, why, why, why did you yeah. why did you move your ball? You know? Yeah, so I, I agree with most of that. 
it's not it's not totally uncommon for guys to check to see if a ball is plugged or to identify a ball without a, a playing partner there. So if I if I get up in the rough and I see it looks like my ball is plugged or we didn't see it bounce or something like that, I'll say, hey, you know, Pat, and I'm just gonna check and see if my ball's ball's plugged and he'll give me a thumbs up. Yeah. But I pick it up, I pick it up with two fingers like it's a butterfly, like yeah. it's a fragile creature, and I and I and I just turn it to see if it's plugged or or to identify, it, and then I put it right back down, and you yeah. can tell. You know, that I just used two fingers, lightly picked it up, put it right back down quickly. You know, the way it happened on Saturday, it, it kind of seemed like his hand was down there in the rough a little longer than, than most people would. And, yeah. and you know, I don't know how far his playing partners were away. They might have been in the right rough or they might have been. I know he hit it pretty far left out of the fairway bunker. So it wasn't a common area where he could just, you know, say, hey, Robbie, come over here real quick. Yeah. So the fact that he touched the ball wasn't that big of a deal. It was just it was how he did it. Yeah, um, in my opinion, it's it yeah. was just a little bit a little bit sketchy and, uh, and putting it and, to the you side, know, you know, like it just it yeah, you 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 should have he should have put it directly back down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he should have yeah. he should have just put two fingers in like he was trying to get a chip out of a bag and yeah. just barely pick it up. And then if it's if it's clearly plugged, then you say, "Hey guys, it's plugged. If you want to come look at it," and they're gonna be like, "No, we trust yeah. you." I mean, that's, that's how. It, most guys wouldn't. They were like, "Hey, you know." But for Patrick, it may be different. Most guys, maybe, yeah. like, unfortunately, hey, I want to come look. But, but for yeah, you, no. if you said that to a, a playing partner and you're like, "Hey, guys, I think this ball's plug. I just checked it. It's broken the surface." Most guys would be like, "Hey, man, I trust you." You know, that's what's cool about the game. But once you have that reputation, then it's like, "Oh, well, you know what? Let me watch you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch you check this yeah, ball." Yeah, hundred percent. And if it's close, I mean, if it's if it's at all in question, you're gonna say, "Hey, guys." Uh, come over here real quick. I want you to double check. And then if he comes over and he says, oh, man, I, I can't really tell. Then we, we, we just go to an official. I mean, it yeah. happens all the time on a, yeah. you know, a drop from a grandstand or a scoreboard or something like that. Yeah. We all know the rules. We all, we all want it, but everybody's so scared to they one, get a penalty from a, you know, from a camera picking something up, doing <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're all cognizant of, it. I mean, we're all human, you know, people, you know, we're all aware of, of the repercussions. So I think that's yeah. kind of where guys are, you know, Xander's comments were great. It, it, you know, he kind of, he, he said it much more eloquently than I did his feelings on it. So I think everybody's kind of on the same page as, as kind of yeah. what Xander said and, and what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Lonzo, uh, we can't thank you enough uh, for your generosity. We're going to, we have a, before we get you out of here, we a real original idea. We're going to do some rapid fire questions. Just real fast. Right. We uh, thought of this all by ourselves. Uh, yeah, it was a real original idea. <laughs> <laughs> Longest drive you ever hit. Get that one a lot. What's your uh, favorite course? <laughs> yeah, get that one a lot. Yeah, so here we go. Favorite stop on tour? Probably Houston Open. There, there you go. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, fa- favorite player to play a practice round with? Ooh. Man, that's a good Three. question. I play a lot of practice rounds by myself. So this isn't rapid fire. I, I I feel like I get I feel like I get more work done. Uh, Nate Lashley is good. Probably VJ Singh. VJ is a good buddy of mine, and and he's hilarious. He does not stop talking shit the whole time. So VJ uh, is a lot of fun to play with. Jay said you, by the way, just so you know. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, it's weird. I didn't say Jay, huh? Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> a lot of scar tissue oh. from that state open. One one player you haven't played with yet, but are looking forward to. Uh, Tiger Woods. Yeah, yeah. I had a uh, worst worst part of my life last year at Genesis on Friday. I had hanging life in the left rough. Everybody knows that whole you know steep below my feet, and I had a 
one shot cushion. I needed to make bogey to make the cut. And I ended up making a miraculous par and I get in the clubhouse, I'm eating lunch and I look at this, at the, uh, at the list and me and Tiger had the same tee time off different nines, I think. And, and if I had made bogey, long story short, I would have played with Tiger and Spieth on, on uh, Saturday at Genesis. So oh, damn. I was, I was pretty pissed that I made par. <laughs> <laughs> Worst, worst par I've ever made. For sure. Yeah, worst <laughs> par I've ever made. Uh, That's yeah. right. I'd love to play um, with Tiger. One course for the rest of your life. What, what, what course are you choosing? Probably Pebble Beach. Pebbles, Pebbles, a dream to walk around. Uh, that and Kapalua. Kapalua's the views. The view on seventeen at Kapalua is incredible. Is, it feels like you're on top of the world, and it's just a really, really cool spot there in Maui. Guilty pleasure when it comes to food. Uh, Reese cups. For some nice. reason, nice. Some Love reason that. I've, uh, some reason I've gotten into the Reese cups with uh, the Reese minis in them. So my girlfriend's the awesome. Cup. She's, I mean, she does a lot of the shops. She travels with me most of the time, but there's always a bag of uh, Reese mini cups with the <laughs> in the hotel room. So every night, get a couple yeah. of those. Love it. Uh, beer, liquor, or wine. I, I well, I used to be a big beer guy, and then you know I got into wine a little bit, and then my brother-in-law introduced me to bourbon about eighteen months ago, and, and the rest is history. I yeah, got I love a, it. I got a nice little collection here, so I, I don't drink much beer anymore. It's usually either a, a neat neat uh, bourbon or or red wine. Nice, love it. Love it. Stud, very classy. Stud. Uh, favorite football team? Forty uh, ers and uh, Virginia Tech Hokies. Okay. There you go. And last question, and we'll get you out of here. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's your pick? Well, I got absolutely murdered in the uh, championship round. I uh, lost a pretty good amount of money, so I'm not <laughs> the guy to I'm not the guy to ask that. My bookie, my bookie's a huge fan of me, but I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet KC pretty hard. I think I just I feel like that offense is just so hard to stop. And as good as Tom Brady is, it's probably going to backfire on me, but. If if my home if my homie gets down ten, I'm not going to be scared. And uh, it just the, the firepower on on offense is incredible, and and then their defense is playing great. So betting against Brady is is clearly why I'm so far down in my bookie. But <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep firing. Uh, that's right. Hey, like like the, like Jordan always said, you, you if you're missing, you just keep shooting until you make it. Yeah. Right? right? Shoot or shoot until you run out of money. And then that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Lanto, that was a pleasure. Can't thank you enough. Uh, Thanks, we, could, we could go on forever, but uh, maybe sometime down the road after you win your next event, we'll have you back on. And, yeah, man, uh, you guys are great to talk to. I'm, I'm uh, more than happy to come back on, but uh, and I appreciate you guys you know, taking the time and, and wanting to wanting to chat with me. Absolutely, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. We'll, uh, we'll be rooting for you here. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah. We'll talk Bye, soon. Thanks, Lanto. Well. Thanks, Lanto. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, see you guys. Later. 